Hey, Cornerstone. How you guys doing? Man, good to see you. Okay, so if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been having an ongoing conversation about India. This is the last week uh, that we're going to talk to you about India. But here's what I want to just encourage you to do. Would you be willing to be prayerful and just say, God, what is it you want me and mine to do for India? Here's why that's a critical conversation. Because right now in India, you and I have Christian brothers and sisters who are struggling and being persecuted and paying the ultimate price to follow Jesus. Two fronts. First off, India is one of the countries that shut down more stringently during COVID than almost any other country you know. Here's why that's a big deal. Many of your and my brothers and sisters in Christ are what they call day laborers. In other words, they go out in the field during the day. At the end of the day, the owner of the field pays them a couple coins. They go home. That's how they eat that day. If you're locked down in COVID, you're not allowed to go to the field. And there have literally been thousands of people in India who have starved to death because they can't go out in the fields and work every day. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The second is this, that India recently has decided they want to get rid of all Western influences, especially Christians. So they've thrown almost every Christian organization out of India. It's only partners like you and I have there in India who are indigenous to India that have been allowed to stay. But in the midst of that, uh, they are beating pastors they are firebombing churches. They're going to Christians and saying, if you will renounce Jesus, we'll guarantee you a job. And I'm just telling you, our brothers and sisters in India are paying a huge price to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. And in this moment, it just feels like that you and I ought to be leaning in and saying, hey, we're with you. You're not in this alone. And look, I know. I know you're going, hey, Lynn, you don't understand uh, there's enough struggle here. I'm looking at my 401k and it's going the wrong way. Uh, you go to the gas pump and then you faint. I get it. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that in the moments in which it costs me the most, uh, in the moments when uh, it's sacrificial to be generous to the things of God, that when I respond, that brings the biggest smile to God. So I'm just saying, don't let circumstances be the thing that stops you. Just do what God would lay on your heart. So I'm not here to twist your arm. I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty. I'm simply asking, would you pray? And then whatever God would lean on, lay on your heart, just do that. And you can do it very simply by texting India to 21999. It'll walk you right through how to give. You can get that done. Okay. Last time we're talking about India for a long time. Okay. India today. All right. Second thing is this. Some of you know that I've had knee surgery uh, recently, and uh, that means that I am on a lot of pain medication. Matter of fact, this service, last week, I had to go back to my notes just to remember who my great aunt was. Thank you, drugs. So if I say something today that violently offends you or you really, really don't like, I'm just going to ask you to go, you know what? The dude's on drugs. Give him a break, Okay. One more Sunday uh, till I can get healed up. All right, so we're in the middle of a conversation that we've entitled Squad Goals. Here's why we chose that name. Because the most important squad you'll ever be part of is your family. 
There is no other group you'll ever belong to that will be more important to your mission in life than your family. And then goals with the idea that says, hey, you may have already said this is what we're aiming at, this is what we're shooting for, and our hope is by the time we get into the conversation, you'll raise the goals. You'll actually say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna take this standard, I'm gonna raise it up. If I don't do anything else right in my life, I'm gonna get this right. Let me ask you a question. What would you say is the number one value in your family? What's the, what's the, the thing that is most important, that, that would be the central thing within your home? What would you answer if somebody asked you that? Maybe better than that, if I went to your kids and said, hey, what's the most important thing in your home? What would be the first thing out of their mouths? Would they say, well, no, in our home, it's education. Man, you, you gotta pull good grades in the Thompson house. Uh, someone else might say, you know what? Sports are just a huge, huge deal uh, in our home. We're always involved in sport league. Or maybe it's uh, family time, and so vacations are like the thing in our family, the thing we remember the most, do the most. What would your kids say? Number one value for your family. And we're gonna lean in today. And I'm gonna challenge you to consider that the number one thing of your family ought to be that Christ is the center of our home. That, that if we don't get anything else right, uh, if my kids never make it through college, if they never end up being a sports star, whatever it is, if Jesus being the center of my home would happen, it is the most critical, important thing, and I would consider myself having done family well if Jesus would be the center of our family. He sat on a massive leather couch. He had just bought it and it was everything he had hoped it would be. You, you set your phone on, phone on the armrest and it would self-charge hands-free. Uh, it had a surround sound inside of the couch. He sat there in that dimly lit room, the fireplace going in his house that he had just bought. It was the fourth house he had bought in the last little while. You see, he had been amazingly successful at business. Everything he touched turned green. And he'd made money upon money, so he'd been able to buy a house and then a better house and then a better house and now finally this house. Uh, if you were to look in his closets, everything was designer. If you looked in his garage, the car cost more than most other people's homes. And all through his success, he tried to stay faithful to God. He tried to follow and do the things that he should and keep his faith uh, going in the right direction. And yet as he sits there that evening, covered over in the midst of his success and something's missing, something's just not quite right. There's an emptiness in his heart that he just can't explain. And so he decides on that evening, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna go ask Jesus what's going on. And his story is in Matthew chapter 19. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them and go there with me. Matthew chapter 19. If you go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left, you're gonna find this book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 16. 
Let me explain to you before we start reading it that this is actually a confusing passage. My guess is you may have heard pastors speak on it before and they've stumbled uh, their way through because uh, there's parts of it that just don't seem to add up. And let me explain to you what's happening. The reason this passage is confusing is because the young man in the passage, the Bible refers to him as the rich young ruler, he's confused. And so now as he comes to Jesus, he's asking the wrong questions. And you know as well as I do, when you ask the wrong questions, you typically get the wrong answers. Or you get answers that you didn't expect. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. So here we go. We'll read it together, and then we'll try to unpack it together. It's Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, the story of the rich young ruler. Here's what it says. Just then a man came to Jesus, and he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Because Jesus, look, there's something still missing in my heart. Despite my best efforts to follow God, despite my success, there's something not there. What does that mean? And what do I do about it? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, and here's what you need to know about perfect. Perfect doesn't mean the same today as it did when Jesus was having this conversation. Perfect in this time meant more complete. A better word to substitute is mature. Hey, if you want to really be a grown-up Christian, if you want to really, really experience what this life is that you can have in Christ, then here's what I'm asking you to do. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now here's the mistake we make. Uh, we listen to the question that he asked, hey, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And we immediately assume, well, this must be a salvation conversation. I'm gonna suggest to you that it's not. That Jesus, very early in the conversation, affirms the fact that this guy knows God, that he's already a Christian, he just hasn't been living it out. Uh, he's got something in his life that he actually loves more than he loves God. And so Jesus now moves into a maturity conversation with him. This happens all the time for me as a pastor. I'll have people come to me and they'll say, hey, Lynn, I, I just know something spiritually is amiss in my life. I know there's a void. What do I need to do? And so then I'll ask them, well, have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? And they go, well, yeah. I mean, my parents took me to church when I was a kid and I went to summer camp one summer and they invited everybody to come forward and I went forward and I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. But I'm just telling you, there's something missing. And so I'm thinking maybe I should ask Jesus in my heart again. And what I immediately tell him is, look, look, look you only need to believe once. You, you only need to say, hey, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want you in my life one time. Here's why you're not experiencing what you should be experiencing. Here's why your heart is empty. Because although you made the decision to have Jesus as your savior, you haven't done anything about it since. 
what you need to do is get in. You need to start coming to church. You need to get involved. You need to be in a Bible study. You need to start serving. When you do that, that thing that's missing is going to fill up and you're going to start experiencing Jesus the way you were always intended. This isn't a salvation conversation. It's a maturity conversation. I feel confident in that because Scripture says he's already been doing what God said. He's been being faithful. He's been going. He's been believing in God. And he believes in Jesus. Think about this. If he didn't believe in Jesus, he would have taken his question to the temple and he would have asked the priests. Instead, he knows Jesus is the one with this answer for me. He believes in Jesus. He's a Christian. He's a Christian with a conflict. How come, in the midst of my success, in the midst of my, how come something's missing? And Jesus is going to force him to confront what's missing. Now, here's the deal. The rich run, he's doing life. He's an awful lot like you and me. I mean, he's just sitting there saying, look, I've got all these things that I know that I need to do, and I'm just trying to do all of them as well as I can to the best of my capacity. I've got this business that's exploding, and I'm trying to hire employees and keep all the management stuff going on, and I've got a social life, and I'm trying to be with my friends and not neglect that so that I stay healthy there. We don't know if he's married, if he's not. He's dating. He's trying to find the right person to be with him the rest of his life. If he's married, then he's got a brand new marriage, and he's trying to figure out what his look like to be together. He's just doing life, right? He's trying to keep all the balls going at once. Sounds a lot like you and me, especially when you come to this topic of parenting, because when you come to the top, I'm sorry, the topic of family, because when you come to the topic of family, there is a list, a huge list of all the things you need to do in order to be a healthy, vibrant family. And when you start to look at that, you go, that is, that's a huge list of things. Like, for example, uh, when you do finally have kids, then you know, you've got to spend time with them and raise them and teach them the right values and all, all the things that they need to know uh, about uh, life. And then you've got to worry about uh, their education. And, and you, you get that we are an absolutely education-crazed culture. If you doubt that, in the next month, drive by a preschool. They will be holding preschool graduation. What do you learn in preschool to graduate from? Don't eat dirt? Wait, wait. On top of that, uh, if your kid's going to be well-rounded, they need to be uh, in some sort of uh, sports. Uh, you, you've got to keep the spiritual quality of your family going. You, you need to figure out how to be financially uh, stable as a family. Uh, then you've got to keep your marriage going in the right direction. And if that weren't enough, then you've got to spend family time. Guys, think about this. This is just what the culture says you've got to do to have a healthy family. This is crazy. You try to do all these things and try to do all these, you're going to look like a vaudeville act. Do you remember that guy who uh, would spin plates, right? He'd have a stick and then a stick and then a stick and a stick. And then he'd start spinning a plate on the first one and he'd start spinning a plate and then spin a plate. And then this one was wobbly, so he'd come back and spin this plate. And then he'd start this plate and then the second one would wobbly, so he'd spin this plate and he'd come spin this plate. 
If you attempt to do all the things that culture tells us we have to do in order to be a healthy family, and you try to do all those things well, you'll fail. That this is an impossibility. There is no way that at some point, one of these begins to wobble, two of these begin to wobble, and now they're hitting the ground. And you're breaking plates. It's just not possible. And if you and I accept this as being what it is that forms a healthy, good, we'll fail. Let's imagine for a moment you're better than the rest of us. You're better than us. You can keep all of this going. You can keep this going. You can keep your career going. You can keep your social. You, 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 you're, mani- you're keeping all those plates at once. You realize the next thing is, there's going to be a moment when one of these things is going to conflict with the other. One of these things is going to say, hey, you need to do me and not do that. So how do you do them all equally well? And the answer is you can't. For instance, there's gonna be a moment, if you haven't reached it already, when your kid wants to go off to college. And you're gonna go, wait wait a minute, education's a big deal in our family, but you know what college costs? I mean, that would, that would break the bank, right? Or, or am I gonna leave my kid with like crazy student loans? And in that moment, you're gonna to have to decide, do I, do I look, go look, hey, finances aren't as important as college? Or you go, no, you know what? You're gonna do student loans, good luck. We're gonna keep our, right? They'll come in conflict. You'll have to choose which one has the greater priority because you can't do both. How about this one? Uh, you, you've got kids and culture says, look, you gotta, you gotta spend kids, time with your kids all the time. All the, you, gotta, you gotta make it to every game. Remember that? You gotta make it to every game. Your kid will be a psychopath if you miss a game. Every game. But the problem is right now is that your marriage is struggling. So now you're caught in the moment and says, hey, uh, what do I do about that? Do I, do I start missing games? Do I start like neglecting some of my time with my kids to do my marriage? Or, or do I stay fully engaged in doing that with my kids? And, and you're gonna have to choose. One is gonna have to win over the other because they can't all be equal. How about this one? Uh, you sign your kid up for sports because, I mean, that's where they learn sportsmanship and being well-rounded, all that good stuff. The problem is after you sign them up, uh, you realize that part of their practice is on Tuesday nights, which just happens to be uh, when church has the program for grade school kids. And so now you got to choose between, hey, is my kid going to learn how to kick a football or are they going to learn about their Bible? They both can't win. How about this one? Some crazy pastor gets up on Sunday and says, hey, uh, you ought to be faithful in your finances and giving to God. And you're going, Lynn, you don't understand. I don't, I don't have finances. And in that, you're, you're right? They can't both win. You're going to have to decide. Which one, which one's more important? Which one wins? It's why, you ready for this? It's why when you and I start thinking about family, we can't do everything that everybody's told us to do, and we surely can't do them with the same equal priority. We will be forced in a moment to decide which one wins. You understand in the passage we just read 
That's exactly what Jesus is challenging the young man to do. He's saying, hey, you know what? You've been so successful at business, but you realize your spiritual life is struggling. You need to decide which of those is gonna win this conversation. You're gonna go make a whole bunch of money. You're gonna figure out what God wants you to do. Let's go back to the passage and you'll see it. Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect, if you wanna be complete, this isn't if you wanna be saved. This is, do you wanna grow up in your faith? Do you wanna be mature? Do you wanna be mature? Go sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. You get what Jesus did? Let me just go, look, look, look. I'm gonna point to the thing that has the highest priority in your life. I'm gonna point to the thing that you love more than me. I'm gonna point to the thing that up until this moment has always won every decision. And I'm just gonna tell you that if you want to get your life back on, if you wanna be mature, you're gonna have to flip the script. God's gonna have to start winning. God's gonna have to be the center of your life, the center of your family. It can't be this money thing. And then, uh, watch what he does, verse 22. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Don't miss the moment. Because when this comes in conflict, as you're doing right, when, is it gonna be education? Is it, whichever you decide will become the center of your family. Whichever one wins that moment when, when there's opposing things and opposing in conflict, that will be what your family is centered on. It'll be what your family is about. Whichever one you choose is the one that wins. You and I have struggled with the same thing the rich young ruler struggles with. You and I have walked away sad on some Sundays. Because, because on that Sunday we heard this, a message about forgiving people who'd hurt us in our life and we simply in that moment said, no, I can't. I refuse to stop being bitter. I refuse to stop being angry. Maybe I'll obey some other things God's asked but I'm not gonna do that. And guys, when you do that, you know what you just said. Being bitter and angry is more important to me than obeying God. So guess what's the center of your life? Bitterness and anger. See, this is the moment that you've been in a message and someone said, hey, you know, you really should serve. If you're a Christ follower, you should be serving in the church. And, and in that moment, you went, oh, Lynn, I get why you don't understand this. Because you're a pastor. And all pastors do is speak on Sunday morning for a little while and pray the rest of the week. So you've got plenty of time. You don't understand my schedule. I don't have time. And when you in that moment get sad and go, no, no, and walk out that door, whatever you give your time to next, whether that's going camping or whatever you give your time to next, that's what won. That's what's the center of your life. That's what's the highest priority to you. It's exactly the conversations Jesus is having with the rich young ruler. It's the conversation he's having with us. Which one wins? So here's the question. Which one should win? 
which one should be the absolute center of my family that, that whenever anything else comes up that conflicts with it, anything else comes up that, chan- that immediately I go, no, 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 no. This one wins every time. Which one should be the center of my family? And here, I'm gonna give you two screens, two filters to put this question through. Number one, the one that should win is the one that helps my family the most. The one that should win is the one that brings the most benefit for your family. You you get what this young man chose, right? You get what he said. He said it's finances. Dollars, if you maybe choose between God and dollars, dollars wins. And we don't know, right? We don't know if he's married yet. We don't know if he's had kids yet. But you know what we do know? When that happens, the center of his home, dollars. And don't you in this moment just want to shake him and go, dude, wait, wait, wait. Are you, that's your answer? That's the center of your life? There are things dollars can't buy. There, there's going to be a moment that the doctor is going to say cancer. And if the center of your life, if the thing that has been most important to you is, can't, is dollars, how do you cure cancer? There aren't enough dollars. Uh, there's going to be a moment that your children are going hog wild and they're, they're living in chaos and they're doing things that break your heart. What are you going to do in that moment with your dollars? Buy them a car? Dollars? You realize everything you buy with your dollars fades? That's why one house wasn't good enough and the next house wasn't good enough and the next house. Dollars is gonna be your number one. Some of us will go, no, 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 Lynn, I would be never so stupid as to do dollars. We're gonna do education. I like education, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I love education, but guys, here's the truth. Every one of us knows somebody who's smart enough to be a nuclear scientist and can't tie their own shoes. That is not the place you bank on. That's not, it can be important, it just can't be number one. Do the thing which brings the best value for your family. And here's what I'm gonna tell you, the answer is Jesus. When you make Jesus the center of your family, even when the doctor says cancer, your family has something to hang on to. Your family has a supernatural strength that even if it turns out the way you didn't want it to turn out, your family can actually be stronger on the other side of cancer. If Jesus is the center. See, if, if Jesus is the center, all of a sudden you start treating each other better in your family because Jesus said treat each other the way you'd want to be treated. And all of a sudden there's a vibrance and a wonder within your home and people look at your family and go, what in the world? Your marriage is thriving and powerful and all of a sudden your kids leave your home uh, seeing something that they can then emulate in their own home and now your grandkids are blessed. Guys, I'm just telling you, do the thing that is best for your family. Choose that as number one. And then here's the second uh, filter. The second filter is this. You've got to decide what's number one, remembering that you're a manager, not an owner. Remembering that our entire lives are about being a manager and not an owner. See, here's what somebody should have told this young man. That money's not yours. You think it is, but that money's not yours. The truth is, the only reason you have that money is because God gave you life. What if God had decided you would never be born? You wouldn't have that money. And then God gave you some wild set of abilities that helped you earn and make money. I mean, so who gave that to you? 
And who gave you the opportunities? Who gave you the business deals? That was God. That money's not yours. That money is God's. And what God was looking to do was to say, hey, if I give you this, if I loan this to you, if I let you manage this, what will you do with it? And will you take a significant amount of what I've given you, that money, and use it for the kingdom, use it to make Jesus famous? Are you gonna be a good manager because you're not an owner? Guys, think about this. Think about this. If you make a boatload of money, when you die, it all goes back in the box. How many of you ever played Monopoly? Game of life. Yay, I won! I've got more hotels than anybody else. Yay! That lasts about 10 seconds. And what's the next thing you say? All right, let's put it away. It all goes back in the box. That's your life. You finish your life having made crazy, 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 crazy beer. When you die, it all goes back in the box because it wasn't yours. You were just managing it for whatever time you were alive. And some of you go, Lynn, you don't understand. I'm giving it to my kids. That's worse. You might as well burn it. That's stupid. Put it in the box. You and I are never more than managers of whatever God places in our hands. And so your family is not your family. Your spouse, your spouse is not your spouse. They are a gift given to you by God for a season. Your kids, ready for this? Your kids are not your kids. Your kids are on loan from God, entrusted to you to manage for a season. Some of you are going, that's the best thing I've heard all day. Where do I return them? <laughs> Sorry. They don't belong to you. They've been entrusted to you to manage on his behalf. And guys, you ready for this? Your highest calling as a family is not that your family excel at sports or that your family excel at education. Or, or, or that your uh, family have tons and tons. Guys, your highest calling is that your family love and follow Jesus. That's what God trusted you to do as a manager for him. So then the question comes, well, how do you do that? How do you have a Christ-centered home? And the answer is exactly what Jesus asked that young man to do that day. You've got to make a decision. You can't sit at neutral. You can't sit around hoping that all this will kind of fall in. You've got to decide before the question comes, what wins? What is the most important thing? And the answer is that it would be Christ. That Christ would be the most central, most important thing, and every other decision, everything that would come in would always lose to what Jesus would want for your family. Number two, number two needs to be your marriage. Number three,
your kids. First hour when I put the kids down, the marriage fell apart. Some of you are in the room right now and you're going, Lynn, 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 wait a minute. The kids are only here for a limited amount of time. Shouldn't they only be like number two and then we can get back to our marriage after the kids leave? No. No. You were a family before these curmudgeons came along. <laughs> and in 37 years when they leave, you're still going to be a family. They're number three. And then, you ready for this? Number four... is everything else. And, and here's the cool part, that God would say, hey, as long as you get the first three right, you can decide what the most important number four is. You can decide what's number five. You can do that as long as the first three are in the right order. And that at any moment when any one of the ones that are lesser come up and challenge Jesus being the center of my life, you just go, no. I don't even have to think about this. No. Because I'm a Christ-centered family. So let me give an example of my life. So Joshua is getting ready to graduate uh, high school. And uh, he doesn't want to go to college. He doesn't want to go to college, not because it's going to be too hard. He doesn't want to go to college because it's going to be too easy. See, his junior and his senior year, he was in all sorts of AP classes, but he was bored out of his mind. Too easy. So now he just said, hey, Dad, I don't, I don't need college, which you just need to know in the winter's home, education's a big deal. It's, it's not number one, it's just, but it's a big deal in our home. And so I said, Josh, I really, really want you to go. No, Dad, I want to go to college. Lo and behold, he came to us a little while later, and one of his best friends was going to go to NAU. And so he said, hey, Dad, uh, he wants me to be his roommate. And now all of a sudden, J Joshua had this incredible enthusiasm about college. Thank you, Jesus. Our prayers are answered, right? But then I began to ask Josh and said, Josh, I've been a pastor a long time. I don't know of any thriving churches in Flagstaff. And I, 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 I'm not interested in your education being more important than your walk with God right now. I'm not willing to have four years in which you just aren't involved in church and so that you can get educated. No. So we're going to take a field trip. We're going to drive up to Flagstaff. We're going to look for every single church in Flagstaff. We're going to interview every church and find out which one has a thriving college group. When we got done interviewing every church we could find in Flagstaff, guess how many of them had a thriving college group? Zero. So now we're on the way home and I just said, Josh... You're not going to Flagstaff. I'm just telling I'm not trading education for your walk with Christ. No. No, you don't get a four-year gap of following. No. Well, now my son's all the way back to, I don't think I want to go. And we said, no, if you're going to live in our home, education's a big deal. You get to go to college. You can go to junior college. You get to go to college. Josh signed up for three semesters of junior college. Never made it past the third week before he dropped out because he didn't go to class. Guess who paid for those three semesters of junior college? Josh then comes to me and says, hey, Dad, I've decided I don't want to go to college. I want to go to the music conservatory instead. And I said, Josh, what you... Education's a big deal. I really think you ought to go to, you know, and, and, 
don't throw that out. You can do college. I says, Dad, no, 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 no. I really want to go to the conservatory. Okay. So my son goes to the conservatory. Gets out. He knows how to mix sound, do all this sort of stuff. Gets hired at Rock Point Church. His faith in Jesus just comes alive. He gets promotion after promotion after promotion. He, today, he's on the executive team there. He's completely sold out to ministry. Here's what I didn't know. You ready for this? Here's what I didn't know when I made that decision that Jesus wins and education doesn't. The young man that was asking him to come be his roommate was actually a horrible influence in his life. All of Josh's malaise about his spiritual walk, all the things he'd gotten in trouble in in his junior and senior year had been because that dude was his friend. I can't imagine what would have happened if he'd have roomed with him for four years. I didn't know that when I made the decision. All I knew when I made the decision is education will never beat your walk with Jesus. Jesus will always win. And God, I believe in absolute honor to my decision, to Lisa's decision, Grab part of my son. Guys, you gotta decide what's number one. And it has to win every single time. There's a character uh, by the name of Joshua. He was actually who I named my son Joshua after. Uh, if you're not familiar, he's a sidekick to a guy by the name of Moses. And on his retirement party, on Joshua's retirement party, he knows he's not going to be leading Israel anymore. He knows they're going to be left to their own devices. And guess what he says to Israel? You've got to decide what's number one. You've got to decide what's the center of your life. You've got to decide what's the center of your family. What's number one? And here's what Joshua says to the nation of Israel that day. It's Joshua chapter 24, if you want to go back and check Joshua says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you'll serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living or education or money or family, choose who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You got any doubt about who's the center of Joshua's family? Who wins every discussion? So here's the question I'm going to ask. What would it take today for you to move one step closer? What decision would you have to make to move Jesus closer to the center of your family? Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe you have to say, hey, you know what? We're going to be a family. We, get up, we go to church every Sunday. It's not if we go to church, it's what hour we go to church. Uh, it may be, hey, you know what? We're going to start taking some of our time and we're going to start serving. Maybe it's going to be, hey, you know what? We're going to start having family time and we're going to start say, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? And we're going to begin to have spiritual conversations in our home. When's the last time you prayed together as a family? How often do your kids see you pray? Maybe it's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I got to tell the coach my kid's not coming on Tuesday nights because my kid's going to church. And if he wants to put my kid on the bench, 
Jesus wins over sports. What is something that's that conflict at odds with Jesus being the center of your home? And what would it mean to say, Jesus wins? Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, if we're honest, we're, we're a whole lot like that rich young man. We're, we're just trying to keep all the balls in the air. We're trying to keep all the plates spinning. And we've thought to ourselves, we got to keep them all going at the same speed. We can't dare let one drop. And the reality is that's just not possible. Some of them are probably going to fall. What we need to do is decide which ones we'll never let fall. Which one will be the one that identifies my family, that marks who we are? Who are the Thompsons? We are Christ followers. Jesus is at the center of our home. And you don't even have to bother with the question because Jesus wins every time with the Thompsons. God, my prayer is this, that every family at Cornerstone would choose today to put Jesus at the center of their family. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Since Pastor Lynn was talking this morning, maybe some of you are doing that self-assessment of like, what really is the center of my family. And for some of us, maybe it was realizing that, you know, honestly, if I'm being honest with myself, it's probably not Jesus. But we would love to be on that journey with you to figure that out. We're going to have prayer partners up here this morning. If you would like to pray with somebody, we also can text prayer to 21999 for the rest of you. Have an amazing day, and we look forward to seeing you here next week.